0: This is the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. This is why it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us is here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. The NFL Draft has been in the rearview mirror now for quite some time. Here at Saturday to Sunday, we continue to dig into all aspects of it. If you have missed the previous shows, first with Chris Tripodi, we recapped every single team in the AFC, team by team, And then last week, me and Jeff Abercrombie did every team in the NFC going team by team. This is following all the episodes on draft night with my instant reactions to every single pick. We had rookie ranking show. We had IDP rookie ranking show. We had the two round rookie mock draft where we were joined by multiple guests. So we continue to dig in and cover the NFL draft, the upcoming rookies from every single angle. And tonight is an episode where I know people have asked me on Twitter and have been reaching out saying they really wanted to hear my takes on some of the UDFA prospects to really keep a close eye on. And the truth of the matter is Right after the draft, I really don't look at the UDFA prospects and really put them very high in my rankings. And for the most part, I haven't even added them to my rankings yet because I think they're such a long shot. And this year, more than ever, they're a long shot with you know just how weak the draft class was and stuff like that with the unusual year we just had this past year in college football. But I do think it's an interesting endeavor to take a look at the UDFA prospects and kind of at least, you know, recognize that there's a couple intriguing landing spots. And maybe, just maybe if some things break right, these guys could emerge and get an opportunity. Cause I think that's really what you're talking about. I think you're talking about legitimately getting an opportunity. Some of these guys are going to make the team, but I'm talking about is there a path? That if things break right, if there's an injury, if there's an opening, who are the guys that legitimately could make some noise from the UDFA ranks to be fantasy viable, right? I'm really honing in for this episode just on the offensive skill players. Obviously, there could be some offensive line prospects or DBs or edge rushers and stuff like that, linebackers. That materialize to be functional NFL players. But I'm really looking at this from the fantasy perspective. Are there UDFA prospects that we should at least have on the back of our radar for deep dynasty leagues where you can stash players? Maybe you have your rookie drafts later in the summer and you haven't had them yet. So I went through and I have some names here of guys that I think are intriguing, but again. Don't overvalue based on pre-draft takes. And that's something that over the years, I have really made sure not to overvalue my stance on these players prior to, in terms of what I felt about them prior to the draft and them going undrafted into the UDFA ranks. You have to be willing to adapt. You have to be able to adjust your thought process when it comes to the opportunity these guys may get because it's a long shot. It's a really long shot. So with that said, I'm going to go through the positions, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end talking about some guys that I find interesting. Let's start the quarterback position. And the first one I'm going to mention, and he actually recently was cut by the Philadelphia Eagles, but I'm still going to bring him up because to me, he's one of the the only few quarterback prospects that went to the undrafted ranks that I still think maybe if the right situation presented itself at some point down the line, he could have some value for fantasy if things broke right. And that's Jamie Newman. Obviously, we know him from Wake Forest. He transferred to Georgia Tech this past year. I mean, I'm sorry, he transferred from Wake Forest to Georgia this past year we were excited about the opportunity to see him play in the SEC i thought in the summer this was a player who had day two talent who could legitimately with a strong gear, push himself into the round one conversation and the round one mix so for whatever reason you know he sat out this year I you know, if it was medical reasons, you know, that's one thing. If he just, you know, looked at the opportunity, you know, and and said, you know, I think I'm okay in terms of my draft stock. I'm going to sit out. I think that was a mistake. So we don't know the reason. There was never from what I found out, there was never any reason put out there, you know, publicly, you know, in terms of the reason behind why he chose to set out. But I do think COVID and opting out, potentially hurt Jamie Newman more than any other player in college football because I really do think if he had an opportunity to play this year at Georgia I really think he might have been able to catapult it him into a higher draft position definitely from where he went which was UDFA I think it had definitely been a day two prospect and with a good year could have pushed himself into the round one mix because he really does have What you're looking for. He's got the size and frame. He's got the arm talent. He's got the accuracy to push the ball vertically down the field. And he's got the body type frame play strength to be an effective runner. He's got like a Cam Newton style build. And I've said it on this podcast many times. If you turn on Jamie Newman, Wake Forest film, and then you turn on Cam Newton, Auburn film, you walk away at least saying there are some similarities, right? You know, and obviously Cam Newton was prolific that year at Auburn, but Jamie Newman was really productive at Wake Forest. I mean, it doesn't you know, all you gotta do is look at the box scores and and see that. But if you watch the film itself style of play, the ability to be a red zone runner and be an impact near the goal line, things that we love for fantasy football. Jamie Newman had it. The ability to push the ball vertically down the field and be willing to, he had it. He had good touch, good accuracy on the vertical throws. So he had everything you were looking for. I still, you know, listen, maybe interviews, whiteboard work, you know, there was definitely... A lot of development still needed from understanding, you know, how to read coverages and go through progressions. So so that's what I was looking forward to seeing him at Georgia this past year to see that development and see where he was at. So I guess that's what's holding him back and maybe that's coming across poorly in terms of you know the interviews, but I still thought that he was gonna go somewhere on day three. So to fall out of the draft, the Eagles quickly invest in him in the UDFA you know time period right after the draft but then it comes out that you know this past week that he he was cut so right now he's a free agent you know I thought the Philadelphia Eagles were an interesting landing spot when he first signed with them because you know John Hurts is obviously intriguing you know they seem to be lukewarm on whether or not he's a guy long term so I thought Jamie Newman maybe new coaching regime coming in I thought maybe Jamie Newman was going to get a chance to, you know, maybe make the roster and then slowly, you know, work his way to maybe a backup. And then, you know, who knows, does an opportunity ever present itself? And then when you combine his rushing ability, especially in the red zone, he was a guy that was at least on my radar. So that's one guy interested to see where he kind of lands on his feet. I'm sure somebody's going to take him and bring him into training camp and and then go from there. So we'll be monitoring that one closely. Next up at the quarterback position is Felipe Franks. He signed with the Atlanta Falcons after the draft. Felipe Franks was a guy who most people thought he had a late round grade. So round six, round seven, he ends up going undrafted. Felipe Franks is the guy who looks the part, checks off boxes in terms of size, frame, arm talent, athleticism, he has all that. I mean, he's six foot seven, 234 pounds. He's got great size and frame. He's got very good arm talent in terms of just straight velocity and play and arm strength. He's got good athleticism for a man his size. He's got mobility. He can run. He can throw on the move. He can play off structure a little bit. But the inconsistency has never minimized throughout his time in college, it has continued to be there. The accuracy has continued to be an issue at all three levels of the football. The mental processing and decision making, going through progressions, you know, those are areas that he had struggles with. And you kept wanting to see him develop from when he, his time at Florida straight through, you know, him closing out his college career at Arkansas. You wanted to see that development and growth from him that we just never saw. Because if you could have shown more of that, and then you could added it onto that natural arm talent and athleticism and size. I think he could have really been an intriguing prospect. But he's a toolsy player, you know, and we know the NFL likes toolsy players. He's got some interesting tools. So I think he's gonna be somebody that gets an opportunity, whether he ever gets a chance there in Atlanta to ever work his way up the depth chart, and even if he can make the roster, he's got those he's got those characteristics that NFL teams look for. Big arm athleticism fits the the profile in terms of size and frame. Now it's, can the the rest of the quarterbacking skill that, that he is inconsistent on, can an NFL team improve that enough that he gets an opportunity to become at least a NFL player, a backup quarterback. And does he ever get a chance down the line? Cause similar to Jamie Newman, he does got some athleticism. He doesn't have the Russian capability of a guy like Newman. But he does have somebody who at least can move the pocket can can make plays you know when the play breaks down, can run for first downs. There's a lot to like about his game in terms of that athletic part as well, but we'll see if he ever gets an opportunity to really show off that side of it, and it's all gonna come down to whether or not he can develop a little bit better in terms of playing from within the pocket, going for progressions cover- reading coverages. Etc., cetera, etc., cetera, when it comes to that type of stuff that a quarterback needs to be able to do well in order to be successful at the next level. Besides that, I didn't see any other quarterbacks, guys, that did not go drafted that intrigued me even a little bit from the fantasy landscape. Everybody else, you know. Was drafted. We've talked about him a lot here at Saturday to Sunday. I know some people are intrigued by Shane Bichelle, who I think is with the Kansas City Chiefs right now. I think that's a, you know, I think it's a long shot and he's behind right now, Patrick Mahomes. So like, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, he's a guy we should be monitoring. Felipe Franks is a little bit intriguing because we know Matt Ryan's getting up there in age. Jamie Newman was interesting when he was in the Philadelphia camp because there's some uncertainty there, you know, and those guys have that athletic component that if they ever get an opportunity, they'd be able to add a little bit on the ground. But besides that, I don't see anything else at the quarterback position from the UDFA ranks that has me intrigued. If we take this over to the running back position, now the running back position has got two guys that I think intrigue me a little bit. And the first guy is a guy that I'm stunned did not get drafted. And that is... Javon Hawkins out of Louisville. He was a redshirt sophomore. I mean, he was only five foot eight, one hundred and eighty three pounds, and that probably hindered him being drafted where I thought he was going to go. Which I thought he had a legitimate chance to be a round four, round five guy. Because when I look at Javon Hawkins, I get that he's undersized. But to me, I see a guy who's got very good to great athleticism. I see explosiveness. I see long speed. I see bursts and acceleration. I see lateral quickness to be able to show the ability to get to the outside on perimeter runs. I see footwork. I see agility, cutting ability, change of direction skills, and elusiveness to make people miss behind the line of scrimmage or in the open field. To me, he profiled very nicely as a change of pace or committee back. I think the big question, and I think this is part of the reason why he fell out of the draft. And I talked about it leading up to the draft. I just didn't know if it was going to hinder him as much as, I just didn't think it was going to hinder him as much as we did. I knew the frame was going to be an issue, but the lack of receiving production at Louisville is I think what hurt Javion Hawkins in the pre-draft process because a guy who profiles at five foot eight, 183 pounds, he's, Profiling as that change of pace committee third down back. But right now, J Van Huggins is not that prototypical pass catching, you know, third down back because he doesn't have much receiving production on his record from his collegiate career. And it's one of those things where is it because he lacks that skill, or did Louisville just not ask him to do that? And that's where, you know, we didn't have a combine. We didn't get to see him run, you know, the drills at the combine. I'm sure in, you know, a pro day or individual workouts, maybe he did some of that, but with the lack of on film reps in terms of his receiving game and then no combine, and then you combine that to his size and frame and lack of pass protection is an issue with him. He's not a guy who's going to run with much physicality or, or power, or and he's not much of an inside runner. You see why things knocked him down enough to make him go UDFA. I just thought his agility, cutting ability, change of direction, athleticism, and explosiveness, I thought that was going to get him an opportunity to be drafted even early day three because I thought those were some calling cards that stuck out about him. But in terms of his landing spot in Atlanta, I mean, that depth chart is wide open. I mean, Mike Davis is a one year, I think, you know, stop gap there. You know, they have, you know, some guys on the roster after Mike Davis who are in the mix, but the depth chart is wide open there. So a guy like Javion Hawkins, I think, has an opportunity to make the roster. And if he makes the roster, I think, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I wouldn't be stunned if Javion Hawkins is the next Miles Gaskin in terms of a guy who we thought was going to go much higher in the draft, falls, you know, much further than we ever expected you know, Hawkins goes the UDFA route, but it's a wide open depth chart and down the line, maybe gets an opportunity. So we'll see. I think Mike Davis will, will pretty much have that job on lockdown for most of this year, but there's an opportunity for other guys to emerge and Hawkins is as good as a, a good as a shot as anyone on that depth chart. If he makes the roster because he adds that component of that, playmaking ability, make people miss, elusiveness and agility. They don't have much of that in their backfield. So Hawkins is a guy who really is intriguing from the UDFA ranks. He's one of the few UDFA prospects that should be ranked above a bunch of the running backs that were drafted late in the draft. Guys like, you know, Gary Brightwell, who went to the Giants, uh, Jake Funk, those type of guys, I think you can make the case that Javion Hawkins should be ahead of them based on his ability, based on his talent, and more importantly right now, based on the opportunity that maybe is presents itself in that backfield there. The only other running back that I think stands out from the UDFA ranks as someone that I'd keep a close eye on is Puka Williams, who went to Cincinnati? Now Puka Williams is a, is, a, is a guy who, part of his big picture when you look at it, is one hundred percent the fact that there's some off the field question marks and there's some off the field concerns for sure, and that definitely knocked him down a little bit in terms of his drafting ability, similar to Javion Hawkins. Five foot eight, 175 pounds. So he had the size and frame as a big detriment right off the bat. But similar to Javion Hawkins, very good athleticism, long speed and bursts, he shows good to very good footwork, stop start acceleration, cutting ability, agility, elusiveness, and change of direction skills. The big difference between him and Javion Hawkins. Now, while I think Javion Hawkins is a little bit more explosive, and his cutting ability is a little bit better and stuff like that. Puka Williams is a very good receiving back, and he's got a track record of it at college. So to me, he does profile as a change of pace, third down, pass catching, running back. Now, he's the size and frame is an issue pass protection is an issue. He's not going to be much of an inside runner, play strength, power is lacking, but it's the off the field things that I think sent him down into the UDFA ranks. Because I think if he's a clean prospect in that regard, I think his playmaking ability and the fact that he's already shown he's capable as a receiver, I think would have gotten potentially drafted somewhere on day three. So Cincinnati, I mean, after Joe Mixon, that depth chart now is is wide open. I mean, they drafted Chris Evans on day three. You know, Giovanni Bernard is not there anymore. So Puka Williams can make this roster. And if he makes this roster, you know, I, I think there's a opportunity to at least become a guy who plays. And then from there, let's see what happens. In addition to JVN Hawkins and Puka Williams, one other running back that I think is on my radar from the UDFA ranks would be Jared Patterson. He was a guy who really intrigued me from Buffalo. He ended up with the Washington football team. So he's a guy who I thought was definitely going to go somewhere on mid to late day three. So a little bit on the smaller side, 5'7", but not as thin as Hawkins or Puka Williams. He is 195 pounds, very prolific collegiate career at Buffalo. While undersized, I thought he had a, above average overall athleticism, average to above average long speed, burst and acceleration. I thought he had good to very good change of direction skills, uh, cutting ability, footwork. I thought he varied his speeds well with good instincts. And I thought he had fast play speed, faster than what his time speed would be. His receiving ability, I thought, was something that was another positive to his game, that he showed the ability that he could be a good receiver and be a three-down player. Obviously, level of competition at Buffalo was a little bit of concern. He had to clean up some pass protection issues, and he had a really heavy workload in college. But what I'm intrigued about him in terms of the UDFA ranks is the Washington football team, You know, yeah, they have Antonio Gibson there locked in. J.D. McKissick is still there. But I mean they don't have another guy that I think is locked in long term. And we know Antonio Gibson was a wide receiver slash offensive weapon, you know, hybrid player at Memphis who went to the NFL and became, you know, a running back. I think there is I think there's ability there for a guy to materialize and become a bigger part of that backfield in unison with Antonio Gibson, even if Antonio Gibson becomes the lead guy, you know, I think he's eventually going to be utilized in the receiving game. So if he's utilizing the receiving game, that means they might eventually start to want to limit his carries a little bit. I'm not saying a lot. But I, I think a guy like Patterson could make that roster. And if he makes that roster, there's really not much there long term after Antonio Gibson that I could see a scenario where Patterson gets a chance to maybe at least work his way up the depth chart to be, you know, a good handcuff in fantasy. Maybe a guy that if Gibson goes down the injury, he can, you know, be a factor. So the, the, I liked his profile and his game enough in terms of his college film and then the depth chart is is op- is there for the taking after Antonio Gibson And if they start to wean JD McKissick in the, and the receiving component away from him and give more of that to Antonio Gibson, I think they could be looking for a guy then who's a better, more natural runner than JD McKissick. And I think that could be, you know, Jared Patterson. We saw how much of a workload and how much of a focal point of an offense he was in college. So he was one other running back that I thought was intriguing to really uh, keep a close eye on. If we take this to the pass catchers, let's go to the wide receivers first. And the first two guys I want to talk about are probably my two favorite UDFA prospects, just from a straight film evaluation in terms of what I thought about them before the draft happened. And that's Tamarian Terry, wide receiver out of Florida State. And then that is Cade Johnson, uh, wide receiver, uh, from small school there. So Kay Johnson, let me start with Kay Johnson first out of South Dakota State. This was a guy who I legitimately thought had a chance to go in the top 100 picks. And I wasn't alone in that. People like Len Zerline really liked him. There were other people that liked him. So I don't know if there was other stuff in play here that caused him to go completely undrafted or not. I get the small school concerns. I even get the size and frame concerns, but we saw how many smaller Wide receivers went in the draft this year, right? Right from the get go with, like, you know, Jalen Waddell and, and, you know, Devonta Smith and Elijah Moore and, you know, Tutu Atwell. That's just a few names in the first 50 or 60 picks in the draft. So I don't think it's the, the size component because we had a lot of slot receivers, a lot of smaller slot receivers or smaller receivers in general go in this draft. I don't think – so it could have been the fact that it was a small-level school. I'm surprised if that was the case. But this is a guy who I thought was basically when I watched anything from the Senior Bowl was uncoverable, was creating space in his routes consistently when I watched Senior Bowl film and coverage. So there was a lot to like about his game. I came on record and said to me – Kay Johnson reminded me a whole lot of Deontay Johnson, who Matt and I were big fans here at Saturday to Sunday when he was coming out of Toledo. You know, you look at Johnson. Yeah, he's undersized, but I see good to very good athleticism. I saw long speed on his college film. The movement skills were intriguing. I saw agility, change of direction skills. I saw separation, quickness, and route running and footwork to get in and out of his breaks very cleanly and create separation. I saw the ability to win vertically from the slot. I thought this kid. I thought this kid was a vertical slot receiver who could be a big play, but uh, be, but also be a really good route runner, creating space, getting in and out of his breaks, and and being a guy that I thought would be a guy that would keep the chains moving, be a, a good third down reliable receiver out of slot, but also have that home run ability. To win deep down the field, I thought he could win at all three levels of the field. So I'm really surprised that he went undrafted. I've already talked about I get size and frame, I get the level of competition. It's not going to be high point in the football too often or winning contested catches. because He doesn't have the physicality or length or catch radius to do that. But the way the NFL is played now, I'm stunned he didn't make, he didn't get drafted. The Seattle spot is interesting because you got Russell Wilson. But on the flip side, you have two receivers locked in there with D.K. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Where I think this gets interesting is I had Kay Johnson neck and neck with Dwayne Eskridge in terms of smaller school prospect who I thought could get drafted on day two. I didn't think there was much difference between Eskridge and Kay Johnson in terms of the talent of player. There were things about Kay Johnson I liked more. There were certain things about Eskridge I liked more. But Kay Johnson, I thought was very similar in terms of overall talent of of Eskridge, who ended up in Seattle but was a second-round pick. So obviously Eskridge starts off leaps and bounds ahead of Kay Johnson. And I even have my concerns about whether Eskridge could ever become fantasy viable because the third wide receiver there in Seattle, their proponent to run and stuff like that, and they already have two really, really high-end wide receivers ahead of them. But with that said, we've seen guys, especially good quarterbacks, make three guys fantasy viable. And this is less about uh, uh, being fantasy viable and more about just can any of these UDFA guys even put themselves in the position to be fantasy viable? That's, that's what we're talking about today. When I talked about JVN Hawkins and Puka Williams, you know, and Jared Patterson, we're talking about guys. Could they at least put themselves in position to maybe be fantasy viable? Cause as UDFAs, they're not, right? I still think Kate Johnson, and when I get to Marion Terry, I'll talk about him too. I still think the, the depth chart after. Metcalf and Lockett and then lock in Eskridge because he was a second round pick. I think the depth chart's still wide open there at Seattle. So I think they could make the team. One of these guys, I think, is going to make the team. Maybe two, but definitely one. And there's an opportunity to move into that wide receiver four or five spot if they produce. And then if they could get that roster spot and they could be the fourth or fifth wide receiver at some point, then they're at least in the conversation that if things happen, they could position themselves to be fantasy viable. That's all you're talking about here when we're talking about UDFAs to keep a close eye on for fantasy. I mean, you got to be realistic. You can't be like, oh, he's going to be productive this year or by year two, he's going to be fantasy viable. That's a real long shot. We're talking about can we spot situations and prospects that could maybe at least position themselves to be fantasy viable if some things break right down the line. Playing with Russell Wilson – you position yourself to be the fourth to fifth wide receiver. Maybe some injuries happen. Things are are, are shaking up at some point in the wide receiver depth chart. Maybe there's an opportunity. So that's why I like a guy like K. Johnson and Tamarian Terry right there with him. I mean, Tamarian Terry, you know, I knew as we got closer to the draft that the NFL just wasn't nearly as high on him as I was and parts of the Devy community. But I never thought he was going to go undrafted. I still watch this guy's film and I don't see a gaping difference on film alone between a guy like him and Terrace Marshall. I like Marshall more, but there were parts during this college football season and before the season started really where either Terry and Marshall were very neck and neck as day two prospects who teams would really be intrigued with. Because they profiled as traditional X wide receivers and this draft was a little light on prototype X wide receivers after you kind of take Jamar Chase out of the conversation. So inconsistency is, is I think what led to Marion Terry to be a UDFA. He had a, he has route refinement to do route running techniques to, to continue to work on. He had some drops here or there. Some inconsistent hands. He needed to expand his overall route tree. But we're talking about a player who's 6'3, 207. He had the ideal size. Thought he played a little bit bigger than 207, but that's what he came in at, you know, pre-draft. I don't know if he dropped some weight before, you know, to try to run faster or something. I thought he was more of a guy who looked like he played at like 215, 216. But he's got good size. His frame's okay. To me. I saw on film good to very good athleticism on the football field. I saw long speed. I saw movement skills. I saw very good body control. I saw the length and the catch radius to make plays away from his body. I saw the ability to high point and adjust the football. I saw him being able to win contested catches. I saw good play strength. I thought he had the upside to be a starting outside X wide receiver before the draft. And then once, once it was obvious he wasn't going to go in the first three rounds, obviously I had to change my tune, but I really was hoping he was going to go where people are excited about Amon Ross St. Brown and where prior to the Julio Jones trade, there was some excitement about Des Fitzpatrick, those early fourth round guys. I was really hoping Tamarian Terry was going to be one of those guys. I knew he wasn't going to be a top three round guy. That was obvious for for a couple months now. But I did think he had a shot still at round four, and I wish he would have had that round four draft capital. Because I, I really think the disservice that Florida State did to him in terms of how bad the quarterback play was, I think hurt him. But I didn't think it was going to hurt him this much. So it makes me think that there's some other stuff behind the scenes that maybe we just don't know about. Because I still think even with the poor situation of Florida State, it still sure seemed like he was going to be a guy that showed enough at his time there that you could say, "Oh, he overcame the tough times that Florida State was in. He overcame the poor quarterback play to be to be impactful." He was going to get drafted, but it just didn't happen that way. But similar to Kay Johnson, that depth chart after Lockett, Metcalf, and then Eskridge, who was drafted in the second round, it's got some openings. We'll see if if Terrier or, or Johnson can make the team, and then you know get into that mix as like the fourth or fifth wide receiver. Because if they do that, they put themselves in position to maybe at some point be fantasy valuable and then see if that skill set and that talent that I saw when I watched him on film could materialize at the next level. Another guy I want to talk about is Jermon Osborne. He was a guy that I've, I've liked for quite some time at, in terms of his collegiate game. The Texas AM and player was a guy who really intrigued me throughout his time in college. Uh, I had a feeling he was going to be a late, UD, uh, late round or UDFA prospect. It just wasn't a lot of buzz uh, maybe if he had played this year, he opted out. But to me, 6'2", 217, I think he's got good size and frame. I like the play strength, the physicality, the toughness. I think you see it in his routes and after the catch. I like his ball skills, his body control. I thought he had good length and catch radius. He only had average athleticism, and that's probably what ended up him making, you know, going in terms of UDFA. His route running, I thought, it was probably average to above average. Same thing with separation quickness. But, I, but the play strength, the physicality, and the toughness, he reminded me a little bit of Stanley Morgan Jr. in Nebraska, who was another guy I really liked. Morgan was a better pure route runner, but I thought Osborne combined average route running, but I liked his ability better at the catch point, I thought. So lack of high-end athleticism, long speed, I think he had to improve some, some components of his route running, route deception, not a guy who's going to make people miss in the open field too often. That's what pushed him out of the draft. But Philadelphia is interesting because, yeah, they drafted Devonta Smith with the trade up in round one. They have Jalen Rager from last year. You know, hopefully he rebounds big time in year two. But after that, what do they got? It's wide open. There and in the, in, for the Eagles, in terms of long term, they don't have any other assets that were high level commitments in terms of resources. So I think there's an opportunity there for Osborne to make the team. And then who knows? Maybe he can push his way into that wide receiver four or five mix. And then from there, can he potentially, you know, move his way up to number three? I, I doubt it. But I think there's at least an opening on that roster, on that depth chart, where he can make the team. And if he makes the team and and the depth chart's got some openings, maybe he can become the, the fourth or fifth wide receiver. And then we'll see from there in terms of can he p- position himself uh to have some fantasy value down the line or at least be a cup an injury or an opening away to maybe at least get a real opportunity in terms of playing time. So he's someone I'm following closely. Sage Surratt. Once upon a time, Sage Surratt, before the year started, there were people thinking this guy was a day two prospect. I think that J.J. Orsego whiteside flaming out in the NFL really hurt Sage Surratt because I think it's, just, it's it's just very easy to watch Sage Surratt's college film and see a lot of J.J. Orsego whiteside college film. And you know he's got the size and frame. He can win at the catch point. He can use his play strength to create space he can bully ball people he could be a red zone weapon but he struggles to create separation he lacks long speed and i think those type of guys are just they're 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 a dying breed in the nfl teams want guys who can create separation on their own they like a guy who can win at the catch point but that one trait that that calling card you gotta be really special at it, right? There were people who had big concerns about T. Higgins last year, not me. Because yes, I knew he wasn't this high level athlete, but I noticed athleticism was good enough, but I noticed ball skills at the catch point were borderline elite. Saint Surratt's ball skills at the catch point are not elite. And I think his athleticism is almost below average and his separation quickness below average. So that's the difference between a guy like Sage Sherratt and, and say, a guy like T. Higgins. But with that said, he does have ball skills. He does have the ability to win at the catch point. And Detroit's got a wide-open depth chart, right? There's a reason why people are absolutely overvaluing Amon Ross St. Brown, even though he was a fourth-round pick because, you know, they have Tyrell Williams and they have Brashad Perryman and they have Quintus Cephas. Like, that's their depth chart right now. And then it's Amon Ross St. Brown. And then it's, you know, who knows? Maybe Sage Surratt can throw his name in the mix and make the roster. You know, this was a guy who was once thought to be a very highly regarded player in college. And then, you know, maybe it was always the Debbie community rising up and he was never really valued in the NFL circles. But there's opportunity there. So there's opportunity there. And he's got a track record of high-level college production. and does have ball skills. could win at the catch point. Maybe as a Z possession style receiver or a big slot, maybe he can be a guy that gets an opportunity down the line. One other guy I want to talk about the wide receiver position is Tyler Vons. He ended up with the Indianapolis Colts. This is a guy we've been talking about for a while here Saturday Sunday. He was a red shirt senior out of USC, but he started showing promise well early in his career. I think as early as his sophomore year, uh, 6'2", 184. That frame is the big one that thin frame is something that i think hurt him because you see that you see the frame impacting him on the football field so the thin frame and then he lacks explosiveness he needed to expand his route tree he had some struggle beating press partially probably because of that frame but he had he has above average athleticism and long speed he's got good footwork and fluid movement skills i thought he had good body control I liked his ball skills, even at one eighty four he showed the ability to high point the ball with good length uh the separation quickness and route runner was probably just average. He wasn't much after the catch, but I thought he he's got some interesting skills that I think you combine the length he has with his ability at the catch point in terms of the body control, his ability to adjust and high point even at his hundred and eighty four pound frame. I thought he was an interesting player. I thought maybe he had a chance round six, round seven. He goes undrafted, but the Colts are a team that there's some opening there in, in that, in the the depth chart, there wide receiver that there's an opportunity that he can make it maybe as a fifth or sixth wide receiver. And then kind of let's see what happens. He'd probably be the the longest of the guys I talked about the wide receiver position today, but he's a guy that's been on our radar here for a while. It's Saturday, Sunday, uh, I think we always thought he was going to maybe take that next step, but we never really saw it, but he does, you know, there are components of his game that I do find intriguing. So I think it's worth discussing him. And then we're going to close out tonight with a quick tight end discussion here. Obviously we know how hard it is in terms of, of tight ends, but there are a couple guys here that I, I want to highlight. The first one is Kenny Uboa, who ended up with the jets. Now we know the Jets depth chart is wide open at tight end. You know, they have Christopher Herndon, he had that really strong rookie year, then it kind of, you know, really struggled last year. I mean, Kenny Uboa is a guy that I thought a lot of the draft pundits, you know, thought he was going to be a guy who was drafted in early day three. I I kind of had him penciled in there as a guy who, if he should come off the board early on day three, either round four, uh, you know, was was possible for him in terms of my film evaluation. As we got a little bit closer to the draft, it sounded like they weren't as high on him uh, as myself or other people in the draft community. So, you know, in the draft projections notebook, I had him penciled in as a late day guy, but I still thought he was going to be around six, or around seven guy. You know, yes, he's got things he's got to work on his route tree needs work in terms of development. He doesn't show a lot of agility or elusiveness in the open field. There's some effort and inconsistency issues that sometimes pop up on film, you know, but he's six foot four, 250 pounds. He's got good size. He's got good frame. He's got good athleticism. I like his movement skills. To me, he's got you know average long speed, but he's got good length, ball skills, body control, and ability to high point the ball to win contested catches. To me, I thought he was a guy that could attack the seam, and I thought he had the potential to develop into, if he was drafted in round four, I would have said he had the potential to develop into a starting tight end. Now, obviously, that is an extreme long shot right now, But I do think he's got the size and frame to become a serviceable or functional blocker, but then he's got the pass catching ability where that would be where he can make an impact and he can attack the seam. He could make plays at the catch point. And there were a lot of things I liked about his game. He still had more refinement and development, but I thought he was a guy that was going to be a really intriguing prospect. I see guys like Luke Farrell, John Bates, Zach Davidson, Noah Gray get drafted ahead of him. And, you know, listen, I get it. You know, Luke Pharrell's more of a blocking guy. John Bates, same thing. But I, I look at a guy like Zach Davidson, even a guy like Noah Gray, and I just I don't see Kenny Ebo and not being better than those guys. You know, you know, for whatever reason, he went undrafted. The Jets gave him a pretty decent signing bonus. So I think they might have liked him and had him rated much higher than a UDFA prospect. So I'm interested to see if he gets an opportunity there. Honestly, I really didn't think on film there was much of a difference between Kenny Eboa and Trey McKitty. I thought they were guys that both should have been round four, round five type players. Now, McKitty ended up getting pushed into round three. Yeboah goes undrafted. Like I would pre-draft that that would have been the case. But Yeboah is a guy to definitely keep your eyes out on. Another guy I want to keep my eyes out on is Pro Wells. He is went undrafted, but he went to the Bengals. Now, this is a former basketball player. 6'3", 249 pounds, a lot of red zone production at his time at TCU. I would say average to good size and frame. He uses at the, at the catch point to win contested catches. I thought for his size and frame. He's got very good athleticism. I talked about that basketball background. I think he moves well for a man his size. He can attack the seam. Above average ball skills, the ability to high point the football and be a red zone weapon. A lot of refinement in terms of his route running, his route trade needed development, uh, reading coverages, reading you know understanding that, limited production and opportunity, he had to refine his blocking techniques, inconsistent physicality, even though he had the pretty good size and frame. So there were things about him that he needed a lot of work on. He was an unrefined player. But the athleticism, the red zone production, and the ball skills – Intrigued me to the fact that I thought he was going to go somewhere on day three in round six, around seven. He goes undrafted. The Bengals, you know, they don't have a, anything locked in real long term there. Like CJ U- Uzuma, you know, obviously is there, but like I'm not saying Pro Wells is ever going to be a starter there because the odds of that are very low. But it's not like they have this crowded depth chart of tight end in terms of proven players. So if Pro Wells can show some development and refinement, maybe he spends a year on the practice squad or whatever, I do think the basketball background and the athletic profile of him intrigue me enough to at least have him on my radar. Another guy that should be on your radar is Nick Eubanks out of Michigan. He was picked up by the Dallas Cowboys as a UDFA player. He's another guy who I thought legitimately had a chance to be uh, you know, picked somewhere on day three. Similar to Pro Wells, he's got some route refinement to do. He's got to you know, refine his techniques a little bit. He's got to expand his route tree. He's got to improve in terms of blocking, holding the point of attack, blocking in line. But I like his size and frame at 6'4", 245. I saw above average to good athleticism and movement skills. I thought he had average route running and separation quickness. To me, he was a a depth tight end with some upside and he went undrafted. So now we'll see if he could ever get to that tight end two type status. But I, I think he's got some pass catching ability. I like his length. I like his ability to high point. So, you know, we'll see. You know, obviously they have Blake Jarwin, they have Dalton Schultz. But, you know, I don't know if those guys are locked and loaded long term there. Maybe there's an opportunity down the line for Nick Eubanks to make a little bit of a move in that depth chart. Odds are low, but you know, the, the skill skill set is intriguing for Nick Eubanks coming out of Michigan, the guy who I thought had a chance to go on day three. And then one other guy I want to talk about is Briley uh Moore McKinney out of Kansas State. I like the the landing spot in Tennessee is what intrigues me, right? Because obviously Joe New Smith moved on. They got Ferkser, but the opportunity to develop in that Tennessee tight end depth chart is is there. This is a guy who 6'4", 240, had some injury issues in the past, some inconsistency in terms of play strength and blocking, needs some rat refinement, but he's got above-average athleticism and movement skills. I think he has some separation quickness he showed on college film. I like his hands and body control. He can adjust the passes. To me, he was a third-string tight end with some upside, he goes undrafted. Tennessee brings him in. I think because Tennessee's depth chart is wide open, he's a little bit intriguing. Obviously, Arthur Smith's no longer there, but when he was there, he really utilized the tight ends in the past game. So it's gonna be interesting to kind of see what the new OC there wants to do. But he's another guy well, well down on the radar, but interesting nonetheless because of the depth chart that's there. So, you know, I would say the, the most interesting tight end is, is Kenny Uboa by far. The most interesting wide receivers are both the Seattle guys, Tamarian Terry and Kay Johnson. At running back, the one that intrigues me the most is Javion Hawkins. And at quarterback, even though right now he doesn't have a home, Jamie Newman is still the guy that intrigues me the most, that I can see fantasy viability at some point if they were given the opportunity. So there it is, guys, my UDFA watch list, basically in terms of guys who went undrafted, who I think you should at least have on your radar. Maybe you have a really, really deep, you know, 16 team or 32 team league where everybody gets drafted and you you know, you draft six, seven rounds of rookie drafts and you have deep taxi squads. Well, then this is an episode really for you guys to, to hear my thoughts on some of these UDFA guys that felt root cracks, didn't get drafted. Some of them are guys that we talked about a lot leading up to the draft. You know, most of these guys were guys that we've, we talked about, but I think it's interesting to kind of now talk about them, but in a sense of understanding that they were UDFAs. So yeah, I could have liked to Marion Terry more than a lot of wide receivers that were drafted. Doesn't mean I'm going to put him ahead of wide receivers that were drafted. I think that's where you got to be careful in terms of that pre-draft bias because it, you know, draft stock matters. It matters a lot. So we'll see if any of these guys get an opportunity. It's a long shot, but we see guys every year kind of come from the UDFA ranks. We'll see if there could be a few here that become fancy viable down the line, uh, you know, based on their skill opportunity kind of meeting together. Uh, We'll keep a close eye on that for sure. So, Guys, if you're enjoying this work, please get over to the website, ssfootball.com. It's still not too late to pick up the most recent uh, set of notebooks here from Saturday to Sunday, to premium notebooks. They would still have a lot of merit and a lot of value going into the summer with our dynasty rookie rankings, our Devi rankings, uh, thoughts on, on every player, every rookie that was taken in, in the draft this year. So there's a lot of things, you know. There's rankings in there based on the guys who ended up not declaring, who we thought were draft eligible, who didn't. There's full write-ups of those guys, so there's a lot to still be had. The new, obviously, the new wave of notebooks won't come out till around Labor Day, right before the college football season. Uh, but there's still a lot of merit to, to the notebooks that were already put out there. If you haven't picked them up yet, uh, and you're interested in seeing all our dynasty rankings, all my film thoughts on all these rookies, you know, prior to the NFL draft. You could still pick it up for $9.99. It is the best way to support the show and help us continue to do what we do here and grow. If not, please, whatever you listen to podcasts, get over there, rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, it really does help us out tremendously. So on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.